When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, Cash Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? How are you, man? Doing well, but Chris, the Cavs have been without their defensive player of the year candidate, Evan Mm -hmm. Mobley, for three straight games, and they haven't been doing too well without him. I wanted to get your thoughts on how the defense has played over this stretch. Well, I mean, I think you have to put it in perspective, too, right? Based on the teams that they're playing against, it's not like Orlando is a bunch of world beaters on the offensive end of the floor. And you can say the same thing about Miami without Bam Adebayo. They just function a different kind of way offensively. So it's helped the Cavs based on their opponents. But you saw last night the kind of impact that he can make for this team, the kind of impact that he does make for this team and how the Cavs feel it a different kind of way when he's not out there against a premier offense. The Cavs tried to go to zone. It didn't work. The Cavs tried man-to-man against the Celtics. It didn't work. They couldn't really cover up inside. They couldn't really close out to shooters on the perimeter. They were giving up a little bit of both. So it's glaring. The Cavs are still, Ethan, at their best defensively when Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are on the court together. And when those two guys aren't on the court together, the defense is going to suffer. And that was the case last night against the Celtics. You could tell that Jared needed a little bit of Evan in that matchup against Kristaps Porzingis. And in all honesty, it's felt like the defense, when in man-to-man defense, consistently are helping off the ball, leading to open three-point attempts for the opposing offense, and having defenders scrambling back to their man when the ball is kicked out. Is that a trust factor that you've been seeing, or do you think the Cavs are okay with that because they're so big on protecting the paint? Well, it's a no-middle defense. That's the way that they're constructed, and we can sit here and we can debate and argue whether that's the way that the Cavs should go about it in today's day and age. We can sit here and we can talk about the fact that they do give up three-pointers to these teams, and should they change their defensive strategy? Should they adjust their tactics or anything along those lines? But like that was their strategy last year, too. And they had the number one defense in the NBA in the regular season. And they had the number one defense in the NBA in the playoffs as well. So it's one that has shown that it can work with generally this personnel. So I just think the reality is, based on how they're constructed, Ethan, it makes more sense for them to try and 
protect the paint and use Evan and Jarrett as deterrents on the inside. Jarrett and Evan have also shown a little bit of an ability, Evan more so than Jarrett, but an ability to guard outside on the perimeter. But there is enough evidence that points to with this kind of personnel, which is essentially the same personnel as last year, that the Cavs can be a dominant defensive team that wins a lot of games because of that. In saying that, like I think there are moments where the Cavs are overhelping because guys are getting beaten off the dribble at the point of attack. And that means that Darius has to be better at the point of attack. And same thing with Max Struess, Donovan Mitchell, anybody that's going to be out there playing on the perimeter. But when you have Jared Allen and you have Evan Mobley, to me, it's logical to try and take the approach that the Cavs have taken in terms of protect the rim, protect the paint. And if these guys get beat on the perimeter, they have those two guys back there to try and erase mistakes and cover up. So many guys have talked about their defense is help the helper. And if one guy gets beat, somebody else has to come and help out. That takes communication, right? That takes attention to detail. That takes following the game plan against Boston. There were some communication breakdowns. There were some blown coverages at the worst possible time. Darius Garland, Max Struess, they were supposed to switch something and neither guy switched and they were just kind of caught in no man's land. And it led to Jason Tatum getting a three that pushed Boston's lead to nine and it capped a 9-0 run. So you can't have those kinds of things, especially at that time of the game. But I think there's still enough evidence that points to even though the Cavs give up threes, even though it can be frustrating for fans watching it, the style of defense that they have built here has made them one of the best defenses in the NBA. And over the last two and a half, three weeks, the Cavs have a top five defense again, and they're winning games because of it. And it feels like that mentality of help the helper can only work if the players are switching, if the rotations are good on defense and stuff like that. As of late, it hasn't felt like that has been the case because there have been so many opportunities for other three-point shots on the perimeter for opposing offenses. The Cavs have mentioned on multiple occasions that Jared Allen is the safety blanket. They can do a whole lot of things because Evan Mobley's back there. There has to also be a trust that if they're helping, you don't have to help the helper. You have to go get whoever's open on the perimeter, at least in my mind. Do you agree with that? I do to some degree. I think the other thing that we have to look at here, and I don't want it to come across as making excuses for the Cavs. I don't want it to come across as justifying everything that happens with this team but the truth is like what makes them so good offensively and defensively or what makes them capable of being so good offensively and defensively is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and when you have guys who are out especially a defensive player of the year candidate like evan responsibilities change roles change what guys are being asked to do that's different as well And sometimes you get into a situation where you're starting to ask guys to do things that aren't the best things for them and aren't the best things for the Cavs. Or you're asking guys to do more than what they're capable of and they get exposed that way, right? You can ask Evan Mobley to do anything on the defensive end of the floor. Guard inside, guard on the perimeter, help the helper, come over from the weak side. If that's no longer Evan Mobley and that's George Niang, (laughs) What do you think they're going to do? Like, if that's no longer Evan Mobley and that's Dean Wade instead, what do you think is going to happen? So the responsibilities change, the structure of the defense kind of changes as well. 
And I, I think it can throw some things out of whack. And you sit there and you say, well, how can they not function the same kind of way without Evan? Or how is it that there are slip ups when just pulling one guy out of the equation? Like, I think that happens from time to time, unfortunately, especially when it comes to the Cavs and how this defense is constructed. Because again, what makes this defense special is those two anchors together, Jarrett and Evan. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about the numbers behind the defensive prowess of the Cavaliers, what they need to do better. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Subtext is a place where you can interact with us on a daily basis. Maybe you can get some insider information on Chris's favorite Boston restaurants. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy. But we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. And we're back. Chris, let's talk a little bit about where the Cavs rank defensively. Currently, the Cavs are ninth in the league in opponents' points in the paint. They rank eighth in overall defensive rating. And in comparison, they were third in opponents' points in the paint and first in defensive rating last year in both the regular season and in the postseason. How concerning is the recent defensive slump for the Cavs and what can it be chalked up to? Well, here's the thing, Ethan. I don't think it's a recent defensive slump. I think they've been better defensively over the last two and a half, three weeks. I mean, they're nine and four in their last 13 games. And I think a big reason for that is because they've turned it around on the defensive end. They're top five in defense over the last two, two and a half weeks. And that's the kind of ascension that you want to see. And that's the kind of thing that the Cavs essentially predicted because Jared Allen was back in the lineup, because Dean Wade was healthy again, because they were getting more of their pieces back, because Max Struess was getting more comfortable in the defense, because George Niang was learning the defensive principles and all that kind of stuff. Because of the stuff that the Cavs went through at the beginning of the year with some unfamiliarity, it made sense that this team, in theory, was going to evolve and improve as the season went on, and that has happened defensively. Now, when you're playing against Boston, it's a different animal, right? Different things are demanded of you defensively. You can't have slip-ups at inopportune times. Not having Evan Mobley certainly showed up against a team the caliber of the Celtics. But all things considered, I'm not as concerned about the defense when it comes to the Cavs. I'm more concerned about the other end of the floor, where they just have not taken any kind of positive steps forward and there aren't the same signs that they are figuring it out and turning it around on that end. Right. And we're going to get into the offense in a separate podcast, but I wanted to look at the lineups that the Cavs have had this season in comparison with Evan Mobley in the lineup, 
with Jared Allen in the lineup and things of that nature. The Cavs have a plus 26 net rating when Evan Mobley's not in the lineup and a plus 27 net rating when Jared Allen's not in the lineup. As the offense drastically improves in both categories when Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess, and the opposite big, either Mobley when Allen is out or Allen when Mobley is out, when they're on the floor together. Their net rating is a plus 5.7. Is this enough information to make a decision to look into playing one big man lineup for the Cavs? Or is the defense minded having both of them in the front court so glaring that even these plus net ratings can just be flushed down the toilet. Are you looking at just like individual net ratings? No, the net ratings when Evan Mobley was on the floor and then when Jared Allen was off the Uh floor, stuff like that. So the thing that I would say is like some of those things can be a little bit dangerous and sometimes they don't tell the entire story. Like stats are stats. You have to look at them, right? You have to assess what that actually means and all those different things. But you also have to put it in perspective. You have to look at caliber of opponent. You have to look at who those guys are sharing the court with at the same time. All that kind of stuff is going to matter. The thing that I would say is that I look at combinations. I look at how a team performs with combinations on the court versus when they're off the court. And when Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are together, the Cavs are allowing 104.2 points per 100 possessions. And that's in about 300 minutes with them together. Now, it's a little bit wonky because Jarrett missed time at the beginning of the year because Evan has been out now for the last three games. And there's some uncertainty about whether he's going to be back for the rematch against Boston tomorrow night. But like when those two guys are on the court together, the Cavs perform as the best defensive team in the NBA. If you just extrapolate that number over the course of an NBA season and compare it with the best defenses in the league, that's how they perform with those two guys together. There are issues that come up offensively for the Cavs, spacing, shooting, all that kind of stuff. But with them on the court together, they are an elite defensive team. And even though there have been pockets throughout the course of a game, throughout the course of a season where the one big four-shooter lineup can be effective and has been effective, if this team is going to be an elite defense, they need them both playing and they need them both playing well. And if the Cavs, Ethan, were getting enough of a benefit offensively, where they were looking something close to the Indiana Pacers or the Sacramento Kings, or some of the top Boston, some of the top offense at Milwaukee, some of the top offenses in the NBA, when they go to the one big four shooter lineup, then you sit there and you say, okay, we're gaining so much offensively that we can afford to take a slight step back defensively. But those lineups that you reference, the one big four shooters, they aren't effective enough offensively and the Cavs aren't good enough offensively at this point maybe they get to that point where they can afford to start taking Evan and Jarrett and splitting them up more throughout the course of the game well that's what I was mentioning because the numbers that I was giving the plus 26 net rating when Evan Mobley's not on the floor and a plus 27 net rating when Jared Allen's not on the floor is because the offense improves I was asking if it was that is the drastic enough improvement that would make it so 
they would lean on to that four guard, one big lineup. But I agree with you. I say no, because that's what the defense is really based on for the Cavs is having them two in the front court. Also, the guards rely heavily on Allen and Mobley for rim protection on the defensive end and also just that protection that we've been talking about throughout this podcast. I also think like one of the benefits of that, Ethan, is that it changes the look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going to be an elite team, you have to play a bunch of different lineups, a bunch of different combinations, and a bunch of different styles. Can you win playing big? Can you win playing small? Can you win playing fast? Can you win playing slow? Can you win with a switchy defense? Can you win relying on zone? And I think every good team has a bunch of different things in their arsenal that they can go to from time to time. And I like the fact that this year the Cavs have an ability at times to go with one big four shooters. And we've talked so much on the podcast about how that can be effective, how that can provide a different look, how that can confuse the opposing defense and things along those lines. But I don't think that that can be the foundation for the Cavs. I don't think that can be the base look for the Cavs because I just don't think they have enough good players where you sit there and say, well, okay, if it's not going to be Evan Mobley at the four, it's going to be Dean Wade. (laughs) If it's not Evan Mobley at the four, it's going to be George Niang. Like if they had a better option consistently by eliminating one of the two bigs and putting somebody else in that lineup, then I'd be like, okay, it makes sense to sit Jared Allen down for a longer stretch or Evan Mobley down for a longer stretch. But I just don't see that option of whoever it is that's playing the four being better than one of Jared or Evan, unless it's a specific matchup. Right, because we've talked about like Max Struess, Dean Wade, George Niang, all of those guys playing the four. Works in spurts. And it works in spurts, but it's never going to be comparable to Evan Mobley at the four with the protection of Jared Allen at the five. And Evan Mobley, we have been talking about consistently this season, is still learning to play the five because he's not a true five. So to say that he would just be able to jump in, that's in comparison to how he's played against. That's the one thing that we've seen is J.U. Bickerstaff has been smart with those rotations, playing Evan Mobley at the five against smaller ball five lineups rather than having Jared Allen play the five when they had the bigger forces inside like Joel Embiid and such like that but Chris I wanted to ask we talked about the pairings of Darius Garland Donovan Mitchell Jared Allen Evan Mobley we've talked about the option of maybe needing to get another four to have as a role player or off the bench to give Evan those minutes off or give Jared those minutes off or whatever how liable do you think that is because we talked about the importance of getting a backup point guard and the importance of getting a mm-hmm. backup four. Which one do you think the Cavs' upper management is going to lean on more? And do you have any suggestions as to who they should go get? I think the one that they're going to lean on more is the one that they think is realistically attainable to them because sometimes the market dictates the direction that you go in. For example, for the last two and a half years before the Cavs acquired Max Struess in a sign and trade, The Cavs went out every single trade deadline and they tried to improve the three and D spot. They tried to improve and find a two-way wing. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Royce O'Neal, any one of the Bogdanoviches. (laughs) They just didn't have the pieces 
in order to get any of those kinds of guys or the team that they were trying to acquire those players from weren't interested in one, the package that the Cavs were willing to offer or two, any package at all, because they wanted to hang on to those guys because they were very, very valuable. So sometimes it's about the right fit with the team that you're trying to trade with. And sometimes it's about what is available on the open market. Zach Levine, Pascal Siakam, those types of players, those caliber players are going to be out of the Cavs price range. Obviously, they don't have the pieces to go out and get those kinds of guys. So then you start looking a little bit deeper into the market and you start setting your sights a little bit lower. I think the Cavs theoretically, Ethan, can get away with not having a true backup point guard in part because eventually Ty Jerome is going to come back. He's got to come back at some point this season. And the Cavs like him and they gave him a two-year, $5 million contract for a reason. And he brings more size to the backcourt than somebody like Craig Porter Jr. So JB might be more willing to play him alongside Darius or alongside Donovan and feel okay with that in a way that he doesn't when it's Darius Craig, when it's Donovan Craig, because of the size limitations, because of the physical limitations. So I think the Cavs will explore both. And it's just about what kinds of pieces do we have to offer and what kinds of pieces do the teams that we're trying to trade with, what kinds of pieces do they want from us in return? All right, Cavs Nation, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy. But we can tell you that the people who sign up Stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the cast from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.